You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. All right, let's go for Mark 12 here. Thank you for that. Here we go. You'll see why I was very insistent on using this PowerPoint in a moment. Go ahead. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth one penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Thank you, Alex. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I like to offer the context of the scriptures to give them a full sense of their meaning so you can understand them more cohesively. I like to do a historical sort of criticism of what's happening. This is part of how I read the Bible. And the same is true for when I show you a TV clip, which I'm about to do here. And in this clip, the protagonist, if you can call George Costanza that, (laughs) has won the favor of George Steinbrenner, the owner of the New York Yankees who employs him. Now, the, the way he has won favor of Steinbrenner is through delivering him a very special calzone. This conversation with Jerry speaks to the budding relationship between the worker and the owner. So let's indulge ourselves and allow this viewing to inform our reading of the Bible. Okay? Shall we do this? So they're putting in a lost and found because of me. I mean, there's a time limit, but still. <laughs> they're really building a utopian society up there. And you attribute all this to the calzone. Yeah. I'm like a drug dealer. I got the guy hooked. I'm having lunch at his desk every day this week, just him and me. He doesn't make a move without me. It's very exciting. Boy. But you two guys at the helm, the last piece of the puzzle's in place. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the, uh, the tip cup, because I had a little thing with the calzone guy there this week. <clears throat> I go to drop a buck in the tip jar, and just as I'm about to drop it in, he looks the other way. So then, as I'm leaving, he gives me a look like, thanks for nothing. Mm-hmm. You got no credit. Exactly. It's like I'm throwing a buck away. I mean, if they don't notice it, what's the point? So you don't make a habit of giving to the blind? <laughs> So, George, remember... Number 49. You know, uh, 
My last name is Costanza. That's Italian. So uh, you and I are kind of like countrymen. Huh? Paisanos! <laughs> Six fifty your change. Ah, yes. And I always take care of my paisano. So here's a little something. Antonio! Si! Vieni qua! Questa miserable pastorale trying to take it no, out. No, I know what you tried to do. No, no, no. Now get out of here. Don't what? come back here no, again. Ever. No, no, no. I beg you. I don't want to get out of I'm sorry for George. See what's happening here? George is disappointed that the tip isn't observed by the calzone maker. So he feels like he's offering the tip in vain. I wonder how much generosity is needed to be seen like George's here. I think most people are probably not as vain as George. In fact, I think most of us would share even if we couldn't be seen sharing. But the brilliance, <laughs> the brilliance of Seinfeld, you can tell I'm a big fan of this show. I don't think, I, I was watching it, I don't think it's aged very well, but I'll later argue that it has. Um, the brilliance of Seinfeld, which, which I think to some extent has lasted the test of time, is that the character defects in the show, the show's four, lead us to learn something about ourselves. What George feels and shares, maybe we do somewhere inside of us as well. That's why it's funny, or at least that's why I think it's funny. We can relate to the vanity of it, the selfishness of it. And I think that tells us something about the vanity of appearing holy. Even though, even when our insides aren't. George wants to appear generous to the calzone maker who he only likes because he's giving him a good relationship with Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees. It's all very self. He, he has no transformation of his heart. What George is telling us is he's only, he's only concerned about his appearances. But truly what matters is the condition of the heart. And not just the condition of the heart, but the, what comes out of it. The material outcomes of that condition. It's not good enough for George to not care about whether the calzone maker sees the money he is offering or to think of him or to think of the calzone maker fondly in his heart or to rid himself of vanity in those ways, he actually needs to contribute money to the tipping jar. This scene really does, for me, tie in right to the passage of Mark, that we can see Jesus contrasting the vanity of the scribes with the poverty of the widow. So scribes in, in Judaism are lawyers because of the centrality of the law and the Jewish faith, they interpret the law. But because the law is so important to Judaism, they are also theologians. So they're both of those things. And they have a lot of power. In the Gospel of Mark, they, Jesus, the, the writer links them to the chief priests and to the elders as enemies of Jesus. So Jesus is describing his political enemies, the ones that will kill him, the ones that he is warning against about not following in the way. Their vanity precludes them from this radical gospel that Jesus is preaching to the lowly. 
Listen to the words of the Lord. He warns us these deceivers who want to appear holy but aren't actually holy. They want to be treated with honor in the marketplace or they desire salutations at the market. They want to sit at the highest place in the banquet. That is the antithesis of what Jesus is talking about to his followers who have given up everything. Money, family, property, honor to follow Jesus. He's describing his enemies, those who don't follow him and who will kill him. They devour, this is a real powerful line, they devour the house of widows among the most destitute in society, all while making themselves look holier with their long prayers. They want all the places of honor and glory without making an authentic payment. They want to be seen giving their tip to the calzone maker so they can have lunch with George Steinbrenner, so to speak. Pay attention to this phrase, they devour widows' houses. Because of their education and stature, these lawyers were likely to be put as trustees of the estates of widows. You lose your husband, someone else comes and runs your estate. And as a result, they get a share of the estate. And more than that, they could take over the whole household, not even just the house. They devour widows' households. Jesus is accusing these lawyers of trying to gain more public notice so that they can exploit the vulnerable. If they're seen in their long robes and treated with respect and sit at the best seats in the synagogue and at the banquets, they'll even be more likely to secure authority over the estates of widows. And Jesus says you'll re- they'll receive greater condemnation as a result of this. As they collect abundance, they will be abundantly condemned. They shall receive condemnation, one translator said, in greater abundance. There's a connection there. He then sits on the other side of the treasury, probably where people offer their money. And he notes that the rich put a lot of money in. Maybe he's linking this to the scribes, but he's talking about upper class people and their gloating. But then a poor widow, the one whose houses the scribes devour, offers two copper coins. We focus on her poverty because of the exploitation of the scribes here, because of the economic and religious system that oppresses her. Yet she gives all she has. Jesus then declares this poor widow as having shared more than all the wealthy people contributing to the treasury. She contributed out of her poverty and everything she had and all she had to live on, whereas they gave out of their abundance. Let's just pause there for a moment and consider the meaning of the story, and I'll need the the communal hermeneutic to happen here. We're going to pause and talk about the text. What is Jesus saying? Questions for you to answer. Is he lamenting or is Jesus praising this woman? Is he lamenting the circumstance or is he praising the woman for her generosity? Is Jesus commending the widow's gift because of what she leaves behind as opposed to what she gives? She leaves nothing behind. She gives everything. 
Does he commend her not because of the amount, but because of the spirit in which she gives? Maybe the point is to give everything. Maybe it means our gifts and alms should be related to our means. Maybe it just showcases the duty of almsgiving. And maybe it's not even a commendation at all, but a lament of the circumstance. What do you think? Sarah, can you help them out? Get a microphone in their hands. If you have an idea about what is happening here, what is Jesus doing, lamenting or praising, and what is Jesus praising, if anything, then share with us. What do you think? Maybe you're familiar with this passage. Maybe you've never heard it before. And if you've never heard it before, all the better. Give us, the, give us, give us what you feel. And on Zoom, you can do the same. You can chat, or I think unmute and speak to us just like Costanza was. Think the same technology, right? Okay, what do you think? Anyone read this passage before? What do you think is happening? I'm gonna give you my view later, but it's just one of many. Yeah, go ahead, Nikai. Yeah, even though in a quantitative sense that um, the rich gave more money, they still have like plenty left to spare and it's not yeah, it doesn't really mean anything because they have so much to, more to give. Um, to put a few in, however, that old woman by putting the last, the the very last of her money into there, is showing that she got that she trusts God with her life. Good observation. Thank you. Yeah. Others, Hannah, Hannah Lehman. Uh, I'm just noticing that they talk about widows in the first paragraph, as well as the widow comes up in the second paragraph. So they say things like, they devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. So I think that's intentional mm-hmm. whenever there's re- repetition, saying that like these folks have actually taken already from the widow um, and maybe a part of the cause of why she is in poverty. So that's what I noticed. Thanks, Hannah. Few others. Those options I just gave you, scholars don't agree about that. Those are the discussions in this subject, on this, in this readings. All right, let's keep going. Thanks, Sarah. I think Jesus is both, in my view, praising the woman's faithfulness and her generosity and her devotion to God while lamenting the condition that brought her to her poverty. He is clear that the scribes impoverish widows. They devour their houses, they destroy their houses. Jesus is lamenting this condition, this exploitation, this inequality that they create. He is not extolling the idea that the poor should give all they have to the temple. He is lamenting what made them poor to begin with. He is not, in my view, rebuking the widow for her generosity though. She's caught up in a system that ruins her, but one she believes God is in. Jesus is changing all of that. He's changing the entire order, and he will predict the destruction of this temple in the next chapter. This temple, which Mark's readers likely bore witness to its destruction, or maybe they did shortly after... (laughs) Mark wrote the gospel. So to the readers of this gospel, the temple is still a thing. Jesus is about to destroy it. He's changing everything. 
Jesus is hostile toward the authorities into the temple here, which he thinks will, will, would you ruin our would-be disciples. So he's lamenting, but he also sees the woman as faithful to God and seeks to honor her too. And he puts her in the seat of honor that the aforementioned scribes used to take up. In the Gospel of Mark, the last shall be first. That is the central idea in the Gospel of Mark. We're seeing it is the lowly, the child, the oppressed. These are the ones who make the ideal candidates for Christian discipleship because they are already empty and ready to be full. They lack in abundance so they can receive abundantly. This woman is positioned to follow Jesus because of her poverty, because of her self-emptying, because she gives all that she has. Like the blind man in chapter 10 who discards his garment before following Jesus, she discards, she gives up her two copper coins. The Gospel of Mark centers the destitute, the last, the lowly, as the faithful. Jesus' disciples fall away by the end of Mark. They all will. But it is the lowly who remain faithful. And beautifully, it is women who are specifically faithful. In their earnestness for salvation, they draw themselves towards their Savior. The Syrophoenician woman argues with Jesus about children and bread and dogs, and her faith wins healing for her daughter. The hemorrhaging woman reaches out and touches Jesus' garment and is healed, and Jesus admires her. This poor widow gives her whole life and Jesus tells his disciples to attend to her action. And the anointing woman offers Jesus expensive perfume and Jesus says we will be uttering her story for generations and we still are. The faithful disciples in the Gospel of Mark are the lowly and in particular lowly women. The disciples that Jesus calls at the beginning all fall away by the end of the gospel. Jesus identifies with these oppressed people because he is oppressed. Jesus has entered Jerusalem by this point. Palm Sunday has happened, if you will. And he is walking toward his own death, one that was brought onto him by the same rulers that oppressed this woman. And he is, a, he is about to give his whole life for the sake of the world. And he sees this woman's sacrifice as a sacrifice like the one he is making. But his won't be to a corrupt institution that impoverishes the already oppressed, but rather one that liberates them. Something new is happening in the work and the sacrifice of Jesus. His life and his death and his resurrection is, a, is, is, is mean, a means of liberation, a means of redistribution. And as he lives, he identifies with the poor. He relates to them and he is among them. And those who are not poor, well, our faithfulness comes when we welcome the poor, when we enrich them, when we empower them, when we do not devour them for our own glory. We still see today the devouring of the poor 
to make the wealthy wealthier. And I think the pandemic highlighted this for us. People lost jobs, lost earning potential. The rich continued to get richer. By the end of the pandemic, or, or whatever we are right now, Jeff Bezos is on the moon, right? On the backs of his workers. Who generated his wealth? Where does it come from? Whose houses did he devour, right? There's so much, the same thing is happening. In our almsgiving, we don't do it for attention. We don't tip for the sake of praise. We don't mind if the calzone man doesn't notice our tip. We're generous with God for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of salvation. We share in order to self-empty so that God might fill us. God does not act the, ask the already empty to give up more. He fills up the poor with good things. He asks those who are full to self-empty. God looks upon the lowly and sees their sacrifice, even to false gods, and yearns to save them and redeem them. It is for these people that God came. And if we want to move in the way, we become for these people too. And for us as a church, we welcome them we, and, and we assume their posture in humility towards God. This is what Jesus means when he says the last shall be first. The widow here shows us the way and the posture and the self-sacrifice. This is why in Mark 10, when he confronts, when he speaks to the rich young ruler, he says, give up everything to follow me. She already did. She doesn't have anything. Jesus saves her so she can be full of good things, full of abundance, full of liberation from her plight. We do not discipline ourselves to follow Jesus in order to become impoverished. We impoverish ourselves to be filled abundantly by Jesus. So this is still a gospel of abundance. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. His life was not an ascetic life living simply like a poor person, he, he received abundantly. And so what follows, what hope, what, what hope exists for the oppressed is that abundance, is that liberation. Something full and new is coming. The whole world's changing and we'll be able to share in it abundantly if we follow in the way. That's what Jesus means when he says, you'll be rewarded more than this when you sacrifice for me. We don't just, even though we practice suffering and we fast and we lament, good news is coming and it's real good news. These women, these faithful women will receive it, these faithful disciples will. And I hope we can participate in that too. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.